let me, I guess, let's set the scene a little bit like this morning earlier. Um, Part of the dilemma, if you've, uh, um, well, let me, there's a few, life is full of dilemmas. Um, Christian walk is full full of a bunch, and um, there's a certain dilemma you have when when you've been a Christian for a while, around a lot of Christians for a while, where, where, you know, people get stuck, or they get kind of, they fall along the wayside, and you just, you know, you just don't know why, you know. Um, and if you're in ministry and you hang out with other ministry people, it's even worse. Uh, because it's not just whatever happened to Joe. It's like you know what happened to Joe. <laughs> it's, why did Joe do that? <laughs> um, because what, what I've experienced, and I've been talking about this for years, is um, one of the things I've noticed is as much as the enemy's out there, and he wants to kill and steal and destroy, and he absolutely does, and you know, with us, he sowed seeds of destruction in the earth with our cooperation, with our help, individually and corporately, through Adam and Eve and through, through individuals and whatnot. Um, my experience around called and anointed men of God is the casualty rate is horrific. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, and it's not uncommon. You know, you see someone, they, they, you know, they, they're gifted, they don't realize it, and they start using their gift, and they start becoming anointed and really, really anointed, and it's just you know, it's quite astounding. Um, and then their life starts just falling apart. Now, their life fell apart earlier, and they got saved, you know, or they found God, they found grace for the first time. And, uh, but now their life is falling apart. Like, the, the more that God's moving their life in power, the, the more their life is falling apart. And, it, you know, it's always, it's always a distressing thing to see that. It's a distressing thing when, when you know people over the years, and there's quite a few of them, that uh, you start suspecting that, you know, the anointing is, the, oh, man, it, it's much harder than the attacks on the enemy. The enemy doesn't know us. He knows us, but he doesn't know us that well. You know, um, you know, he knows how to maybe seduce. He knows how to tempt. You know, he knows how to lie to you. But his lies are based on what he wants to believe. They're not, they're not, not as invasively personal as, as the Lord knows us. Uh, what happens sometimes when people become very anointed in power, and I, I, I know some people, you like, you know, some of the people I think are some of the greatest preachers I've ever heard, you know. Um, and I, I know some very prophetic people, and, you know, I've gone through some stuff myself. As you start growing an anointing, your life starts falling apart a little bit. And I, you know, and people say, oh, man, the enemy's really getting me. It's like, oh, that's not the enemy. It's like, what is it? Well, that's God. What do you mean? It's like, well, the enemy. The enemy is like, oh, he's just he's trying to lure you. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to trap you. He's just throwing darts. He's throwing lies. Um, but what's going on for you is um, the anointing sitting on you and everything in your life that's not right and it's not true. It's, it's all being exposed. The enemy doesn't do that. God does that. <laughs> you know, so their life is just, all this stuff is coming up, emotions are coming up, and you know, and I was like, that's not God, that's not the enemy, that's God. Now, he's not trying to rip you apart. He's really not, he's not trying to destroy you. Um, but, you know, and this, this is one of the things I've realized is, you know, I'll get to the passage in a minute that kind of starts dealing with the enigma. Um, but when you start doing things for the Lord in his power, he comes and he dwells, and his anointing and his righteousness and holiness kind of comes and sits on you. Um, and, and this is this is kind of the setting the scene for this passage um, from um, Psalms eighty nine fourteen. Uh, I'm going to read the um, King James, and I'll, I'll probably quote some other other translations because I like how it ends in the King James. So Psalms eighty nine fourteen: Justice and judgment are the habitation of your throne; mercy and truth shall go before your face. Now, if you know the NASB, it's probably uh, um, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, and loving kindness and truth uh, go before you. Um, so I'm going to talk about the two parts. The first part is this. Um, 
justice and righteousness, or righteousness and justice, uh, or truth, not truth, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'll get to that later. Um, we would take righteousness and justice, or judgment and, and justice are, are the foundation of your throne. And what that means is, is anything the Lord sits on, anything that he sits in, um, it is established in rightness and justice. And uh, righteousness is a simple, it, it, it translates simply as rightness. And I was just saying this morning, um, one of the great words actually you translate righteousness to be in that, that the Hebrew word is normal. Not human normal. Like, what is normal? God normal. Like, everything is right and in order. The state of everything is right. Okay, that used to be translated as normal. And I can see why people have a problem with the word normal. You know, because normal is an average, two and a half kids, you know, half of a dog, three and a half TVs. That's average. Normal in this context is the way things are made to work. Functionally right would be a great word for righteousness. Um, And so God sits on something that's functionally right, where everything is the way it's supposed to be. And that's an intense normal. That's the normal that we're supposed to know, not the normal that that we know. Um, And and so the other word there is justice. It, it It really means the speaking forth of things that are just and right. It's right judgment. It's this action of speaking and setting things in order. And so we see the foundation of God's throne, where he sits in the Holy of Holies, it is right order and right action. The ways of the Lord and the state of the Lord, where everything is right. Um, And this is an eternal perspective. None of that is based on mankind. None of that is based on things that have been created that that are going to come about. None of that is based on us having to exist. This is the state of God and the actions and the ways of God that exist before and after and during, you know, um, the, the kind of this brief kind of interlude between kind of the fall of Satan and, and you know, and, and everything being made right again. Um, it, it transcends that. Now, it speaks into it, but it transcends it. And when you behold the rightness of the Lord, you know, and the ways of the Lord, uh, there, there's some awe involved, you know, because the rightness of the Lord is an awesome thing. His ways are awesome. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing fallible. There's nothing that changes. Um, and we see the kind of the, the, the encounters that, that are, we, we talks about in Scripture where these things are described. Or like, you know, it was Isaiah chapter 6, in the, the year the king Uzziah died. <laughs> he saw the Lord high and lifted up. You know, and things are flying around, you know, like, holy, holy, holy. You know, and seeing the right state of the Lord and the right ways of the Lord. Um, Isaiah is convicted of righteousness. Oh, I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have unclean lips. Why does he think that? Because he's seeing what clean is. He's seeing what normal clean is. You know? <laughs> and, uh, um, and he's realizing his lips aren't normal clean. <laughs> They're average clean. Yeah. Not normal clean, not, not God normal clean, but man average clean. And he sees a discrepancy. Um, we see this uh, just in many, many places with the, the, the glory of the Lord. Even those who are hanging out with the Lord and they come down and the righteousness of the Lord is just shining off of them, people fall on their face and they be told, don't, don't be afraid because the glory of the Lord is so awesome. Um, and, and beholding this stuff isn't what that effect. We know that Isaiah is changed to this encounter. His lips get clean. He gets given words to speak. Um, we know that uh, even John, he, you know, he, he, he set the told to not, not to bow down and worship the angels. They're just co-servants. Because the glory and the right of the Lord is so high, you know, that, that it just, just undoes us in many ways. Um, I, I just want to, <laughs> this is why. Um, the people that I know, that was they come anointed, and they speak forth the things of the Lord, and they, 
you know, they're building the kingdom and they're doing the, you know, doing the Lord's work. This is why they unravel. Um, because anything the kingdom's... <laughs> God sits in the kingdom and he sits on things that do the work of the kingdom. And it gets measured by the standards of righteousness and justice. And, and my friends who are growing and anointed, they, they, they can't survive the standard of righteousness and justice. The law comes out of the standard of righteousness and justice, right? The law is infinitely right and infinitely just. Because the God who gave the law is infinitely right and infinitely just. And as you've tried to live by the law, you encounter the law, you know what happens. Everything in you that's not righteous is not just gets exposed, right? And you know that if you violate one part of the law, you'd violate the entire law. And so while there's great glory and great revelation and great awesomeness and great sometimes inspiration for, for worship and <laughs> humility that comes from beholding Righteousness and justice. Um, it's an undoing. It's an undoing thing. Um, and one particular friend, he was having a you know really hard time. You know, I says, well, <sighs> says, you have to understand. <laughs> um, you're trying to build the kingdom. So Lord, just sitting on it. He's just in a load test. And, and the engineers in here, you know, load test. <laughs> you design something or software. You know, you do a stress test the system. You know, you design something and you put stress on it to see if it can withstand. You know, and when the Lord sits on you, you always fail that load test. Right? His, his throne is righteousness and justice. Right state, normal state, right normal, holy, awesome, glorious, full ordered, full holy, full clean state. Like how your mom cleans the kitchen, not how you do, you know. Or <laughs> and right action. When he sits on you to test to see if you have that, you don't pass that test. Um, and it's not a test that you're supposed to pass. It's a test that you're supposed to fail so that you know what you need. Right? Real tests aren't just you failed. It's you took a test. It exposed what you need to know you need to get better at. Um, you know, one of my friends out, out in the world that experiences some of the stuff I'm talking about, um, <laughs> um, he'll, he'll say things like this. The beginning of teaching is realizing what you don't know. You know, um, if someone knows they don't know something, you can teach them. If they don't think they don't know anything, if they think there's nothing they don't know, you can't teach them anything. And so sometimes when he tests us, we, we realize what we don't know. <laughs> hey, I didn't realize that was that broken. Oh, now you can teach me. <laughs> I didn't realize I was that naked. You know, those kind of things. I didn't realize I was that screwed up. <laughs> um, I didn't realize my understanding was that faulty. My theology was that bad. Um, When he sits on you, um, it's just something that, like, even Moses, say, hey, no, no. <laughs> you, you can't really take them. I'm going to hide you in the rock, and you can see the tail end of this stuff. But you won't survive seeing righteousness and beholding full justice because it will change you, you know, and your body won't be able to take it. You know, they used to... <laughs> just just to give you... Well, talk about the implications of this. I, I just want to you understand... <laughs> Um, this is something that doesn't change. The, the full righteousness, the full holiness, the full glory of God isn't something that gets moderated. He doesn't dampen it down. He doesn't turn down on a dimmer. Um, and when God is righteous and God is justice, which he always is, it's, it's always fully, it's never partially. Um, so, now, you might see it from afar. You might glimmer the tail end of it, or as Ezekiel says, you know, the likeness of the image of the glory of God. He didn't see God. He didn't see his glory. He didn't see the image, but he saw the likeness of the image of the glory of God, and it, it kind of messed him up. 
this is strong, strong stuff. This is what we want. We, we want to behold him. We want to be around him. Right? We're made for this. We're supposed to dwell there forever. Uh, but this is intense stuff. Um, so the dilemma is, you know, or especially the dichotomy of people, I just see walking some anointing that's like, or moments, you know, where you walk in anointing, where it's just, it's just the glory of God is just so, not, not because you're great, because he's flowing through you, or he's throwing through your, people you're around. It's, it's just, just an awe and wonder of the glory of God. Not just that he's powerful, but that he uses, you know, broken vessel and does, does some awesome things. Um, well, if we want to be more anointed, how, how do we survive? How do we orient to the Lord in a way that we can become more anointed, he can use us, we can be around him, and we don't die? And I'm, again, I'm not talking about the enemy sneaking up and stabbing us in the back. Lord ah, can heal that. I'm talking about the Ark of the Covenant comes back from the Philistines because they were all getting tumors. As one of the versions calls it hemorrhoids. That's always fun to mention when you're dealing with youth, you know. The Philistines set back the thing because they were getting hemorrhoids. Um, they're falling over. And they're, you know, I mean, but when they send it back, the Israelites, oh, this is cool. And what do they do? Well, they open the box. Now, what's on top of the box is the mercy seat. This is where, right, in their scale model, you know, delta O scale or G scale or whatever, whatever you train enthusiasts, some scale, you know, the infinite is built into some kind of finite scale uh, where the Lord's supposed to sit on in his glory and righteousness. And we know, you know, the holy holies, this is where the glory and righteousness of the Lord would be. That's what it's supposed to be. And things were setting off by tents, you know, because God can't stand being around sin. No, because sin can't stand being around God. High priest goes in. He didn't really repent. He had his fingers crossed and he's doing all those offerings. He, he dies in there. You know, and, and, and they got smart. They'd start tying ropes around their waist so they can pull him back out without because you don't want to go in for someone who's died because they're in the Holy Holies. Cause, but, you know. <laughs> How's your heart doing? You know? <laughs> hey, go get him. Oh, let's draw lots. You know? <laughs> Tell you what, next guy will tie the rope around. <laughs> hey, when we send you in there, grab the first guy because that way we can pull you both out. You know? <laughs> And I know I'm saying humorously, but, but the, the awe, the righteous, the order of God is so intense that when something comes in contact, it puts everything in order. That is judgment. To go before God, he puts you in order. <laughs> judgment. Um, and, and mortally, it's often, it's fatal. Full judgment can be fatal. Everything that's wrong brought into order. Everything you're doing wrong, <laughs> fixed. You know, your flesh and your brain, you know, go into stock, shock, and maybe you know, some kind of static, <laughs> whatever, just... <laughs> You know, a uh, uh, snap and, you know, whatever. Um, and then they have to tie a rope around somebody else's waist. Um, how can we be around that? How can we be a people of God's presence um, and, and survive his righteousness and justice? And this is where the rest of the verse you know, gives us a clue. Um, if, which he is, God is ultimately and infinitely righteous and just. And he only sits on what's infinite and right and just. Um, how do we interface with them? Well, this is the second half of the verse where it says, and um, again, King James says mercy and truth. Um, I think NSAB will say love and kindness and truth. But mercy and truth go before his face. And so this is how we interface with the Lord. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely holy. He's infinitely right. You know, he is the true standard of what is normal to be that no one else measures up to except for <laughs> Jesus when he came. <laughs> um, but sitting in that place, he looks at us through the eyes of mercy and the eyes of grace. His tender loving kindness and his graceful truth. That's how he sees us. And so, um, what we need to do is be beheld by him and not be sat on by him. I know that's a kind of a comical depiction there. 
of the two. You know, um, how do you get not sat on by him? Well, <laughs> and this is what <laughs> those often who grow in the gift at a fast rate and, and encounter incredible anointing discover. Um, if you think you're building his kingdom for him, he come along and he tests it. Hey, you're doing something for me, <laughs> for me to sit on. I'm going to sit on it and see how well it's doing. Um, and, and you don't survive those tests very well. If, on the other hand, it's like, hey, I'm not doing anything. You're doing everything. <laughs> you're establishing your kingdom. You are righteousness. You are holy. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I want to be with you. I want to see, receive the fullness of your mercy and grace. Um, <laughs> you know, but you're God and I'm not. <laughs> you know, so there's this humility that Moses displays. Um, and it's not just the act of humility, but it's, um, it's a better deal for him to see you than for him to sit on you. I know I'm saying that much more comically, actually, than I said this morning. Um, when you're doing something for him, when you're building something to transform the earth, um, he tests it. And we see this in the New Testament. He'll test by fire, you know. Um, and whatever is not, you know, golden gems, the stubble all gets burnt off. We see this in things like they get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. What does it mean? They were barely saved? You know, well, they got saved at the last minute. Well, they meant it. They said it in third grade, but they haven't meant it since. What does it mean? No, no. This is talking about the works and deeds that you did that were tested by the Lord to see if they were his kingdom. He sat on it and it all fell apart. His heat came and it all melted. You know. So, um, now when he does deeds through you, it survives his test. <laughs> if you think you're doing those deeds, he comes and he sits on you and you don't survive. I don't mean he kills you, but you, know, <laughs> you become undone. And you start repenting, which is a great thing. And when now, in a place of repentance... Um, or a place of need, you're before him, you're able to let him see you with his eyes of mercy and eyes of grace. Um, and so, how do you do that? Well, the key to receiving mercy is to need mercy. Okay? Now, there's a bunch of things in his loving kindness and his mercy. Mercy implies a bunch of things. But it mainly implies where you're weak and he is strong, when you're naked and he has clothes, where you're hungry and he has food, Right, when you're in sin and he has salvation for you, or cleansing and forgiveness. Right, those are issues of mercy. And the way that we engage the Lord is by not coming before him in our strength, but coming before him in our weakness. If you bring something strong before the Lord, he sits on it and says, hey, is this a good seat? You know, and it might have been this tall, and if you're lucky, you're, you're left with something that is at least this tall. Uh, but if you come before him in weakness... You know, he sees you through his eyes of mercy and grace. And, and that's, that's, that, that ends up being your interaction with him, mercy and grace. Um, and that's a really, really good deal for us. Most of us, if you are honest, some of the tenderest moments that you've had with the Lord have come where you've beheld them in one of your worst moments. All right? Now, that's not because he was like, all right, I, you know, I love Mitch, but I don't want Mitch to have a good head. So I'll just wait till he screws up, then I'll show up. And he'll realize I'm God, he's not. He's not waiting for Mitch to screw up to show up. The reason that Mitch can know God in great weakness is because when Mitch realizes he's weak, he's in a place where he can receive God's mercy. And one of the things I've been consistently praying for myself and for my wife and for my children and, and for others is God inspires me to and leads me to is that they would recognize and receive God's mercy. That sounds good, right? You, everyone, you want to receive, recognize and receive God's mercy. 
Yeah, that sounds good. That's not, but what it means is this, that we would be able to be naked and weak before him and needy before him and not hide it. That's what it means to recognize. You can't recognize and receive mercy unless you recognize and receive the fact that you need mercy. You know, typically the first time that really happens in a deep level of the Lord, you know, we have a salvation experience. Um, and there's no, all salvation experiences are selfish. But they're self-motivated. You know, there's just no clean verse. Um, you, why do you get saved? Because oh, my life was a mess. Well, how selfish is that? You got saved just so your life can be fixed. I was addicted to something. I wanted to get off, and I got saved because I was so desperate. Oh, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty selfish. You know, John shared his story. His mom got saved. Why? Because she wanted to be healed. Now, oh, those are horrible people. Not like the rest of us now. You got saved because you needed something. And you were so desperate, and you were humble enough in that moment to receive what you finally realized you need. Forgiveness. Salvation, healing, life from someone where you realize God has life and you don't. That's, that's, that's how salvation comes. It's always selfish. Selfish in the sense that you're in need. Okay? Now, I'm exaggerating the selfishness of it because I don't, we do this to, only Christians do this so well. As soon as you get saved, you assume you should be doing everything right from that moment after, right? I got saved, I need to be perfect because he's perfect. Yeah, eventually you'll get there. Or in moments it'll be there, but it's not because you're perfect because he's perfect because you're perfect. What comes before that and this is what it's, you know, mercy and grace. I think it doesn't, mercy and truth, love and kindness and truth, I just say it. The mercy comes first. Because if we don't get mercy, we don't, we don't do well with grace. Grace speaks truth. You know, you're running a race, you break your leg, you're on the ground. What is truth? Hey, you need to get up and finish the race. What is mercy? Hey, that looks like it hurts. Can I help you? Someone speaks grace before we... Get mercy, right? It, it, it's, it's unpleasant. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let me empower you. That's grace. Truth. You know, this, oh, you're, you're supposed to run without a, without a broken leg. You're supposed to be fully healed. Didn't you know that? Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. And we need mercy first. We need to be able to be weak before the Lord, vulnerable, um, so we can receive his mercy. And then grace is a good deal. Grace, grace is the truth is great if you've already been comforted. Truth without comfort, man, that's, that's hard stuff. You're supposed to be perfect and holy. You know, but I'm here in pain. Yeah, ignore that. Be perfect and holy. That, 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 you don't get very far that way. Um, and so we encounter God in our mercy because that, that's what we need. Mercy is all about need, being needy. You don't know how to be needy before the Lord. You cannot receive his mercy. If you encounter him because you were needy, you learned since then how to not be needy, you are no longer receiving mercy. Or at least to the degree that you're no longer needy before him. All right, and, and so in our place, before we see this in Beatitudes, right? We mourn, he comforts. We're hungry, he gives us stuff. I, I know that's a horrible summation. <laughs> blessed are those who are thirsty, blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those. <laughs> you know, there's blessings for those who are in need. Why? Because he's the God. He's the God who, he meets needs. Why? When we're needy. Now, so what's our job then? Well, it's to mourn. It's, it's to be hungry. It's to be thirsty. It's to be meek. You know, not, not having the power to take what we need and not taking it. Now, everybody has 
It's probably some area that their heart needs to mourn. That's not who gets comfort. Those who get comfort are those who actually mourn before the Lord. And so we see this with Adam and Eve. They're naked and hiding. He comes to find them. You know, they come out of the bushes and he puts real clothes on them. And then he starts the process of, of you know, um, the, the, the work of mercy that, that is Jesus Christ. That, that's also the work of grace. Um, so I just want to say that. So in infinite righteousness and infinite justice, if we're for him and he's looking at us, when he's looking at us, he's looking at us through mercy and grace. And then we can be for, we can be for his throne then. Um, so, and this is, uh, um, I'll just read uh, Hebrews uh, 4.16. This is a depiction, again, of the throne. It seems a little different than the one, you know, in, um, in Psalms. Um, but it actually lines perfectly up with it. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Um, it's actually interesting. Number one, it's the throne of grace. Why is the throne of grace? Not because it's graceful when he sits on you, but because what comes from the throne is grace. It's really interesting is first you obtain mercy, and then you find grace. We obtain mercy, and then we find grace. Actually, obtain just means basically to receive. Grace, there's a little bit more of searching. Um, and it implies there's more of a process. But the process is right there. What's the process to find grace? It's to obtain mercy first. It's the throne of grace, but first we obtain mercy, then we get grace. Um, and then we can be in a line with the throne of righteousness of all, you know, because we're not coming before him sufficient. We're coming before him in need. Um, now, if we come before him in need, then, then he meets our needs. He comforts us. And then he pours out grace and he empowers us. Then go and be with what we're not and do the things that we can't do in our own. And that's mainly our interaction with the Lord's throne. I'm not saying that that's the fullness of your interaction with, with the fullness of the Lord, but the fullness of what's coming from his throne is you're getting mercy and you're getting grace. Where you're weak, he's touching you, and uh, he's empowering you to be what you can't be on your own and do what you can't do on your own. Um, and if I, Nims says, hey, what are you going to talk on? It's like, I'm going to talk about mercy and grace. You're going to talk about mercy and grace? <laughs> In the house of mercy and grace? Because <laughs> you know? uh, we've been coming here for 12 years, you know. <laughs> and Rick's Rick, Rick been talking about mercy and grace the entire time, um, which is really, really good. And there's a reason for that is because this is going to be a year of great mercy and grace. Um, he, he really is. I think he's really bringing this church back to its foundations. He's establishing mercy and grace. The thing is, you have to be able to move in bulk. This is one of the things the Lord was telling me, um, and this is kind of what I'm setting you up to now talk about, is typically we orient to one or the other more. Um, if you're oriented to grace and you have a hard time receiving mercy, you, know, you break your leg, you're not asking God to heal your leg, you're not asking God to take away the pain, you're just asking God to make you faster. My son Josh, who's at Clemson, when he was in fifth grade, uh, he did basketball, he did football, and he started doing lacrosse. Well, first day he had lacrosse. Actually, he was actually doing basketball and football in the spring while he was going to do lacrosse. You can do three sports, you know, at the same time. In, in just Because there was spring football inside and there was all this other stuff. Anyway, so he's picking up his third sport, um, you know, t- for that season. And before he goes off to lacrosse practice, he's playing on one of those little razor blade scooters on our asphalt. And he did something weird. 
And he walks a little funny, and he, you know, practices how to go. I was like, oh, it's really bad, man. I, I was running really slow. I'm really upset. Well, what happened? Well, I swung around, and I hurt my foot. There's this red circle on, on the side of his foot. And he's really bummed because he was running slow. He broke his foot. He broke his foot. He was upset he was slow. Doesn't that hurt? Like, he goes, yeah. Doing this bad, like, ah. He didn't care about the pain. He cared that his foot was broken. He was running slow. Now, what did he need to do? Well, you know, he needed to get a cast. He needed to stay off his foot. He didn't want any of that. He was not looking for comfort from his pain. He was not looking for sympathy. He was not looking for a cast. He wasn't looking for rest. He wasn't looking to the elevator in school. He wasn't looking to cut the front of the line in the cafeteria. He just wanted to run fast again. That is someone who's looking for grace and is forgotten. Right? Before you get grace, you get mercy. You've got to heal your broken foot before you can run fast on it again. That's someone who's oriented to grace. And now, there's different times where we get grace and mercy. There really is. There are times where, you know, one day you're like, oh, you realize you need mercy, you get it. The next day you realize you get grace, you get it. There's days where you're getting both at the same time. And I'm not saying it's an either or. What I'm saying here is this, is sometimes our orientation gets a little disjointed. My wife Mims, having been in a car accident, has been going to chiropractor for the last two weeks um, because she got out of joint. When the car behind her smashed, while well, she was parked, hit her to the, well, not parked, but stopped, hit her to the car that was in front of her, and the airbag went off, and the car smashed. Right? Now, now there's things all in alignment. And I have found that for a lot of Christians, we get off in alignment in the areas of mercy and grace. Now, there are people who, who don't want to receive either, but typically it's this. God's trying to pour mercy, and you just want grace. You need to rest so I can hear your foot. No, 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 I just need to run faster. Or, He's trying to give us grace, and we just want mercy. Lord, when I did this last time, you, you made me feel really comfortable. You know, and God says, I want you to change. No, 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 I can't change. This hurts too much. Just make me feel comfortable again. And I'm trying not to say that with any bite. You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know where I, Josh got his, hey, no, no, it's broken. I just want to run fast. Don't worry about the pain. I'm pretty sure he got that from me. I come from a long line of stoic farmers. You know, on my mom's side, they've been dairy farmers since the French and Indian War. You know, you get up at four in the morning, milk cows. You feel sick, you get up in the morning, milk cows. You get up, you feel well, you get up at four, you milk the cows. You know, <laughs> you just keep on going. There's the stoicism. <laughs> um, and the thing is, what I've encountered is, you know, like uh, things in life. I think, you know, if I'm not receiving his 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 mercy, and I just want grace. I'm like, I got things to do. There's things I need to be. There's people I need to minister to. I need to get revelation. I need to prophesy. I need to change the earth for you, Lord. And I'm trying to be capable and able in all things. And he realized there's something broken and an anguish and a pain in me that's like a broken bone that I'm trying to ignore while I'm running around. He's not trying to help me prophesy. He's not trying to help me get everything work. He is trying to bring me to the place where I realize I need mercy. And when I'm trying to get stuff done, and he's trying to tell me I can't get anything done because I need mercy, like, I now have a problem with God. Right? Because he's trying to undo me while I'm trying to do things. And actually, you know, he's better at undoing than I am at doing. 
You ever uh, build sandcastles with the kids at the beach? And every time you build a castle, they can sma- they smash it? They, well, you can smash a castle. <laughs> That's like the Lord. Lord, I'm trying to do your work. I'm trying to do this stuff for you. What's wrong? Well, you're in anguish. Yeah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Our relationship is based on the fact that I see your pain and I want to comfort it. When you won't let me comfort your pain, you're denying the role of my spirit, which I call the comforter. Are you hearing me? Many of us, our solution to having a hard time is wanting to be more empowered. If I was just more anointed, things would go better. Or in the corporate or, or the personal finance world, right? If I was just making more money, my life would be better. I've worked in Manhattan. The whole city that shows that life is not better when you make more money. Because we're oriented to grace, to empowerment. And we're not letting ourselves be naked before the Lord. I tell people this all the time. Like, I'll mentor people, like prophetic people that are, you know, they're actually doing more stuff than I'm doing right now in the world prophetically. <laughs> it's like, you know what you need to get at? What? You need to be good at when you're in your worst moment, you could possibly find yourself, and go before the Lord and say, hey, Lord, how do you feel about me now? I just screwed up oh, really badly. I really screwed up. Or I just, something I needed to do and I couldn't do it. Or something I tried and it, it worked out horribly. I, I don't. Life will supply all the scripts you want. I, you know, you, you don't need to be picky about which script you're going to, any script will work for this. But the worse, the better. Okay, you, you know, assuming you don't want to screw up badly. Okay, try not to screw up. The worst screw up, whatever it is. Frailty, broken relationship, you know, what, whatever it is. You go before the Lord and say, Lord, you see what I'm like here. How do you feel about me? If you've had some encounters with the Lord, and you've beheld his righteousness and his glory, and there's times in worship you just sense how righteous and holy is, that's a scary thing to do, like in an honest emotional thing. It's like going to your spouse and saying, hey, tell me everything that's wrong with me. And then tell me you love me. Now, they might do that. They might do both. But, but you know what? We don't ask for those things typically. Because you're so incredibly uncomfortable. Someone who knows you the best to know what's most wrong with you and still love you. You know, that's scary. It's vulnerable. But only in those places can you experience unconditional love. The more that you know that you're loved at your worst, the more you'll actually believe you're loved when you're doing, you're doing your best. Um, social researchers had found this problem. It's called the inverse power of praise. Okay, you know what the inverse power of praise is? Um, if to encourage you, I tell you you're doing well, it might cause the opposite. You might feel discouraged by me telling you you're doing well. How can that happen? Well, this is what researchers did. They did this for t- lots and lots of fourth grade classes in New York City. What they did was they picked, what are your names? What? Deanne and Sarah, Okay. So pretend Deanne and Sarah are both in fourth grade, okay? They told Sarah, hey, they give her a test. They give them both a test, a hard test, okay? And they told Sarah, you did well. You must be really smart. And they told Sarah, or Deanne, sorry, you did well. You must have worked really hard, okay? And then they gave them an opportunity to take a harder test or, or an easier test. Statistically, largely, the trend was people who told they did well because they were smart, they didn't pick the harder test. They t- picked the easier test. Why? 
Because if this heart of a test showed I'm smart, this heart of a test will show I'm stupid. But the people were told, hey, you did well (laughs) because you worked hard. They chose the harder test. Because if I could do well because I worked this hard, well, this hard, I can work harder. Now, what does this have to do with you? (laughs) Um, If you believe you're doing your love when you're doing well, it's really simple. You know that when you're not doing well, you won't be loved. This is the very definition of conditional love. What this tells you is this. You cannot know love unconditionally when you're doing well. You can only know it when you're doing badly. And remember it when you're doing well. Your worst, and you don't have to even do them in the present. You can go take your worst moments to the past and array them before the Lord. Right there, I was the worst I've ever been. You know, the Lord can tell you things like, no, I loved you there. In fact, I think I liked you more then than I do now. (laughs) Why? Because you were more aware of how much you needed me then. But when we're doing well, when we're anointed, or, you know, we're accomplished or successful, we feel loved, we can act feeling love with being successful. I'm loved because I'm doing well. I have a big problem because I know this will end. I'm going to screw this up. You've been yourselves before. You know how that works. Um, Eventually you run out and boom, you know, you're caught without knowing you're loved. And so the best use of whatever comes your way where you feel weak and vulnerable or you screw up, I don't care if it's sin or just weakness. You, You screw up and it's wrong or you just caught weak or you're caught naked. There's something wrong with you. Everybody sees it. You can't cover up. These are great moments. Because in those moments, you can say, Lord, do you really love me here? Not, not where I'm planning on getting. You know what I'm saying? You screw up. You take a week to get better. You go before the Lord and say, yeah, I love you. No, no, no. I mean right in that moment. Do you love me here? And, and the thing is, is, theology says yes, but your heart is afraid it's no. And if you can go before him, that's just what I'm talking about, the eyes of mercy, that place. He sees all those places in you. The question is, do you realize you're being seen there? Or can you receive him in? Oh, you want to talk about that. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to be like that. I've got everybody in my life convinced. I don't mean, I'm not even talking about secret sin. I'm talking about weakness. You know, that I'm afraid or that I'm scared or that I'm incompetent. And mercy doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're in sin or if you're weak or you're naked or hungry. Mercy comes to you in all those places. Uh, and they're all useful to go before the Lord and say, Hey, show me. Show me if you love me here. I'm miserable. I am wretched. You're like one of those uh, immigrants going through Emmis Island. You're wretched, you're hungry, you're poor. You don't have a country, you don't have identification, you don't have any food, your clothes have holes in it, you know, you don't have a job yet. You know, and you're just saying, hey, <laughs> you, you, will you take me like this? You know, and the Lord, he says yes, but our, I'm just saying our heart is often afraid that it's no. That's what it's like, right, to be seen by the eyes of mercy. And of course, the eyes of grace, what it does is grace, as we know, oops, Grace empowers us, right, to be what we can't be on our own and do what we can't do on our own. One of the things when I'm praying for people for mercy, I'll I'll go through this. And this is the first thing I'm concerned for. Is this person receiving mercy? If you're not receiving mercy, I don't want to speak grace. Right? Until I run faster if their leg's broken. (laughs) Um, But when I get to grace, 
it's like, oh, you know, are they receiving truth? Are they receiving empowerment? Are they willing to feel called to do things they can't do on their own? Are they willing to risk failure because God can succeed? One of the things that I've encountered in that, it's just what keeps me bringing it into me, are, you willing, are they willing to let me call them a name that they don't yet know? willing to give them a name that they, they haven't yet lived up to. They don't, they don't yet recognize. And this is what Peter, Simon, encountered with Jesus. Yeah, you're Peter. No, no, my name is Simon. No, your name is Peter. Right. He gave him a name of grace. That wasn't mercy. Mercy was, hey, <laughs> you know, you know that I love you. <laughs> you love me. <laughs> that was mercy. <laughs> grace is, <laughs> go feed my sheep. And your name is Peter. Right. Empowerment. Action. Um, Again, why am I saying this? Because it's my experience. When we get stuck, it's because we've missed our line ourselves. where we're looking for mercy where he's trying to give grace. We're looking for grace when he's trying to give mercy. Um, and we're really tricky with our own hearts. We are tricky with our own hearts. We are slithery with our own hearts. We know how to sound right and be theological and slither out of these issues. No, 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 no. I did the letter of the law. I don't need mercy. God, just bless me. How's your heart doing? No, 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 let's not talk about that. When the Lord is, and I'm telling you, when he's catching you naked, if you cover up right away, it doesn't work very well. He catches you naked so he can clothe you in white. What do you think you have to persist to those who overcome? I'll dress you in white. What do you think one of the things they have to persist in? Not covering themselves in leaves. You have to be willing to be be vulnerable before a righteous and just God. Because then He will clothe you because He will see that you are naked. This is what they endure and this is what they persist in. Be clothed in white. Not clothing yourself in your own attempts. Um... You know, and so I, I, I'm talking about two separate, because we typically get stuck on one thing or the other. And we're often called to one thing more than the other to minister, in ministry. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, it may be not all who you are, but it's one of the things that maybe you more frequently do. Many of you are much better at ministering in mercy. And I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with that. We should be able to minister in mercy and grace. We should be able to, be able to comfort when someone's in pain, join them in their loneliness. But we should also be able to empower them and equip them in truth. But we'll typically be drawn to one or the other. And I'm not talking about tendencies. I'm talking about when we get stuck. I'm stuck. I can't move forward. I know it's either this. He's trying to give me mercy and I just want grace. He's trying to give me grace and I just want mercy. And they present completely different. And I'm about to describe two sets of people. You know, that you probably get stuck. You become one of these. And you think it's better than the other one. But it's not. I keep on describing the people who want mercy and, and, and God's trying to give them grace. and I, I twist a little bit because I don't think those people are as good as I am. But I know that's not true. When I need mercy, I try and get more busy and busy and busy and busy until I fall fat on my face. I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm stuck. What do I do? We'll be stuck and I'll get you unstuck. I don't like that. I don't want to be stuck before you. I want to come before you with all these things I'm doing. And that's someone who's looking for mercy instead of grace. Or grace instead of mercy. 
I want more position. I want more power. I want more understanding. I want more finances. I want to be more efficient. I want to be more productive. I want a better schedule. I probably need to get up earlier. I need to exercise more. If I start eating better, I'm going to take more vitamins. I'm going to get better at this. Give me grace. That sounds good. That sounds responsible. That sounds proactive. But something in that it's saying, hey, God, I can be just like you. Help me to be God like you. I can fix myself and everybody around me. I'll teach them to be just like me and they'll do a great job. And if you can't be incompetent, unproductive, and inept before the Lord, then you cannot receive mercy. And you are either stuck you don't know it, or you're stuck and you know it, <laughs> or you're going to be stuck. <laughs> you, you just you might as well tell you now so you can know it ahead of time. Failure is one of your greatest fuels to being the friend of God. All of God's greatest friends are your horrible failures. Moses couldn't liberate Israel if he, you know, if he killed someone, which he did. If he was prince, which he was. If he was covert, you know, he couldn't. The one thing Peter wanted to do was never leave Jesus. He couldn't do that. He got three opportunities. His best friends are the worst. Why? Because when you fail, you let him in. Jesus wasn't telling Peter before he failed, feed my sheep. It was after he failed. Now that you know what you're like without me, why don't you do the things you can do with me? Right? So we've got to get to the place where we can see mercy. And, of course, the other side, and again, I'll, I'll try and say this better. Um, well, the, <sighs> you, know, you know how to be weak before the Lord. You're afraid of being strong. When I am broken, I'm in a horrible place, he comforts me. But I'm not ready to do anything yet. Because I'll just screw it up. And I, I feel okay with that. He'll comfort me when I screw things up. But it's so much safer being here naked and alone and a poor before him because he makes me feel better. But if I go out and I do something or I say something or I try something, I'm just going to be back here anyway. I might just stay here. And you end up setting up camp and mercy. The thing is, mercy and grace go hand in hand. He sees you through two eyes. He sees you through mercy and he sees you through grace. I think the grace, mercy hits you first because otherwise when the truth hits you, man, it, you know, that's rough. Mercy comes first, but grace comes right after that. And the whole point of mercy is to lead you to grace. So that you can be empowered to be what the world needs you to be. To be who you have never been before. When you, you ever play tag and there's base? And there's two types of kids. The kids that like to run around and never go near base. And the kids who stay near base. Oh, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off, I'm on. People who are oriented to mercy instead of grace and get stuck, they're like that. I laughed on back. I laughed on back. I'm going to do something now, and I'm not. Oh, God, there's mercy and grace for not doing anything. <laughs> no, no, there's mercy for having not done anything. There's grace to do things. Grace is the truth of who you are. Right. One of the greatest depictions of grace that I know is in Revelations chapter 2. This is great. I'm not talking about mercy. I'm talking about grace. I saved that one. Um, <laughs> we'll just go straight there. <laughs> um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll just read it so that you know. <laughs> You'll know it's real. <laughs> um, in Genesis, in Revelation chapter 2, two we, we see it's in the midst of all these promises if you endure, essentially. Right? You, to those that endure, to those that endure, to those that endure, to those that overcome, to those that, you know, aren't corrupted by Jezebel and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, <clears throat> this is 2.17. To him that overcome, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, will give to him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving those that receive it. Why is that grace? Because that stone will tell you the fullness of who you are. It's the truth of who you are. It's a name that only you and God can know. Only you can know it because no one else is you. And, and of course, God knows everything. <laughs> but it's not just he knows it. He inti- intimately knows you like that. Mercy sees where you have pain. Grace sees who you're not yet, who you can be, but you don't know it yet. And that's what the name of the white stone is. It's, it's your true name that you're not even capable of hearing yet. I think he's perpetually calling us newer names we haven't yet heard. This is where Gideon was. God, I know how to ask for mercy. Don't let the Midianites kill us. Don't let them see me thrashing, you know, uh, <laughs> Wheat in the grape press. Don't let them see the chaff flying in the air in the wind. Don't let them notice me. Don't let them remember me. Don't let them think of me. Just hide me in my weak, dangerous, vulnerable, naked position, Lord, which I have before you and I'm willing to admit. An angel shows up and says, Hey, naked guy who's poor and weak. No. He says, Behold, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior of valor. You know, who are you talking to? That's not me. Go get someone else. Or if you're Moses, I think you're looking for my brother Aaron. He's better with the words. You know, he hasn't already screwed up it. <laughs> He's not wanted. <laughs> not I'm trying to kill him, you know. I can't do it. Find somebody else. I'll screw it up. Have someone else do it. It would be better if it happened without me. That's someone who can't receive grace. The Lord says the body of Christ is going to be complete and full, without blemish, without anything missing. And you have a part in that, meaning that wherever you go, the bride is more complete if you're there. Whatever you do, the bride is doing something more complete that you're doing it. All right? Now, if you believe you're going to screw it up, that someone else should do it, you're not willing to receive his truth of grace that he will do perfect things through you as an imperfect person. The mercy people are like, oh, I'm imperfect, God, help me, I'm imperfect. The Lord says, no, 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 you're imperfect. I make you perfect. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? That is the truth of grace. People who move in grace speak that, and you're like, ooh, I can do that. You ever have a problem talking to Tulio? Tulio doesn't fix your problem for you. What does Tulio do? He tells you how to fix the problem. Have you experienced this? Why? Because Tulio exudes grace. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to tell you how to do it. And if, if he had his... And I'm not wrong. This is, this is a man who operates in grace. And if you let him, he'll train you not just to do it for yourself. He'll train you to do it for other people too. And then you'll be doing it for him for other people. Why? Because he's trying to empower everybody to be who they are and to do what they're called to do. 
That's great. Now, I don't say it's criticism, but that's what grace does. It empowers you to do things. Someone who's merciful will do it for you. Someone who's gracious will teach you how to do it. What is appropriate? Well, it depends. If you're not capable of doing it, you need the people of mercy. Because you'll stay stuck. You know, they'll, teach you, you know, they'll tell you how to do it. And you won't be able to do it. But on the other hand, if you do not respond to empowerment, you're going to stay stuck. How do you know you've been walking in grace? You're perpetually risking failure. And you're perpetually risking risk. Right. Faith is the dominion of grace. And this is the word that's there in Psalms 89.14. You can translate it not just as truth. You can translate it as faith. Loving tender kindness ministry to where you are. Faith causes you to do things you can't do. It's a cyclical relationship, though. Mercy and grace, mercy and grace. If you stop receiving mercy, grace will crush Truth will crush you. If you stop receiving grace, um, you'll plug the cycle of mercy. You'll be farming your failure so you can feel better for the Lord instead of encountering new failure. You're empowered to risk because of faith. All right? We typically get stuck in one of those two areas. So... Um, looking at dwelling places, the bride of Christ. I just, it's the thing the Lord's been showing me. Says, he wants to adjust their back a little bit. He wants to adjust you as a group in the area of grace and mercy. All right? All right everybody stand up. Um, I think I'm going to do this a little backwards from what I did this morning. Um, I feel such a call to grace. I feel such a call to mercy this morning. But I feel, I was talking about both, but I feel a much stronger call to grace, which means the Lord is pouring out faith to risk in this room. All right? Um, so, <laughs> um, if... I'll do this the opposite as well. If, if God's stirring you up, knowing that... <sighs> I don't like the if. <laughs> there are people in this room where the Lord is stirring you up in grace. Now, the if is whether you realize it or not. All right? He is provoking you to do things you can't do, to be what you're not yet, to take risks that you would normally not take, to say things you would normally not say. If you were listening to John's testimony about his mom, how do you know grace is stirring up? Because you were feeling called to say things to people in your life that you would normally not say. Right? John risking and saying stuff to his mom that maybe normal relationship would now, that was a call to grace for him to receive the Lord's grace to be an evangelist to his mom. Right? That John has never led his mom to the Lord before that time, right? So there's nothing in him that had done that before with his mom. So a moment of grace comes and boom, hey, I want to heal her. Hey, I want to save her. Will you respond? You know, pray for her. She feels worse. Persists and she gets saved, right? This is a call to grace. It's typically failure before there's success so that you know it's him and it's not you. All right, if you're feeling that stirred up, what I want you to do is I want you to move to the center aisle. All right? 
to act in ways you, you haven't acted before, right? You're looking to do something that you're inept at, but you want to do it anyway. Not to be like someone because you think they're better, but to be like who you are in ways you've never been yourself before. That is the call of grace. To know names from the Lord that you haven't yet known. What does the Lord call you when you're not listening? Why aren't you listening? Because you don't recognize the name. But that's, that's a question. <laughs> He'll catch your attention, right? All right? All right. Um, stay there. All right. I want everybody who's feeling a need for mercy they haven't yet known yet to come up front. Right? I have a hard time being naked before the Lord. If I wasn't already up here, I'd come up here. Some of you, the Lord wants to use your brokenness, and you're trying to avoid it. There's some more. I, and I, I'm not pressure anybody. Um, um. <laughs> But, but if you think you're supposed to come forward, but you really don't want anybody to see you coming forward, that's someone who has a hard time receiving mercy. Because this is naked. All right. I hate, I hate coming forward in the service. That's why you sit in front, because you're already kind of there, you know. <laughs> I don't want anybody to see me. Um, all right. All right. Now, I'm going to assume everybody in the room is in one of four groups, okay? These two are already identified. There's those who know they need grace, those who know they need mercy, and there are those who grace and mercy is flowing through. All right? So if <laughs> you're not in the center aisle or in the front, it means that, you know, that God's calling you to be one of those other two groups. Um, so how do you know that your grace is because you want to empower people to act? How do you know mercy is flowing through you? Because you want to comfort people where they are. All right? So this is what we're going to do. Oh. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sitting here in worship between the two services. And I see Lee come up for worship. I'm like, oh, that's right. Mothers with young kids, they're the group that think they need more grace and really they need mercy. Because there's no end to what they need to do and there's no time to be broken. So, I'm really sorry I put you on the spot for that. <laughs> but that's a very typical group. Your pastors are often in this group. I need to act, I can't get mercy. The only example, I, I'm going to just, I hate pointing people out. Except for the fact that it makes them feel uncomfortable with me and it feels really fun. Um, Um, I want to. <laughs> um, just if you need to follow up with receiving mercy, I, I you, you get a hold of Mitch. Um, mercy flows off Mitch. Just it's just in, in astounding ways. Whenever I'm so stuck that I know that I can't do anything, I end up talking to Mitch, whether he knows it or not. So he ends up talking to me, whether he knows it or not. Um, so, um, all right, this is what we're going to do. All right, and then we'll, we'll kind of disperse this way. Um, um, if you have a heart for those who need mercy, come forward and pray for them. You want to pray for things like comfort, healing, 
you know, that God would be with them and that kind of stuff, okay? And if you have a heart for those who need grace, go pray for them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to first pray for the group that needs grace, and then I'm going to invite them to come forward to pray for people who need mercy. It seems like an act of grace. All right. So just, just bear, I know I'm talking about two separate things, but there's two sides of the street, and, there's, and as Rick Joyner likes to say, there's a gutter on both sides of the street. You know, and, and with, with the back, you know, if you lean too much to the right, you have back problems. You lean too much to the left, that's the opposite, you know, uh, you have back problems. Um, and and I, the Lord just, just, wants, he just wants to adjust you so that you're not on balance. So I'm going to pray for Greece and I'm praying for Mace. Feel free to receive whatever I'm praying. I don't care which group you're in. I, I just want to do that. But Lord, first we pray for the people. I know this is backwards, Lord. But the people who know they've been receiving mercy, so they have that first, but they, they want to be empowered in grace. Lord, we pray you pour out boldness upon them, Lord. Well, we pray you'd uh, um, oh, include them in the divine nature flowing through them, Lord. But they're not God, Lord, but you are God, and you will move through them, Lord. They will become like you as you let them, Lord, um, as they let you move through them, Lord. So we pray that you'd empower them in grace. Lord, we pray the things that they don't think they can say, they think they should say, Lord, but you have them to say. You would empower them to speak, Lord. The things that that you call them to do, that it seems risky, it seems potentially painful, or it seems that they, they couldn't, someone else should do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would provoke them, Lord. Gently but firmly, like you did with Moses. I can't speak. Who made man's mouth? Lord, you made their mouth, Lord. You, you gave them their gifts, Lord. You put thoughts in them. You've given them understanding. Lord, we pray you release grace, Lord. Acts of grace, miraculous acts of grace. You tell them who they are. Lord, that you'd have to convince them that they're holy, that they're righteous, that they're victors, Lord. Pour out grace. Lord, we as a body, Lord, we receive grace, Lord, particularly in the areas that we need it, Lord. All right. Now, I want everybody who is receiving grace to come forward and put their hands on the back of someone who's receiving mercy. So everybody in the center, I'll come forward. Now, I want to have you speak, okay? Um, <laughs> but instruction is an act of grace, and these people need mercy. So I'm empowering you. I'm instructing you <laughs> how to speak to them about mercy, all right? And some of you do this really well already, but I just... <laughs> so this is going to be about comfort, about the Lord joining them in their pain, about the Lord giving them rest, about the Lord knowing that he's, they're naked and vulnerable, but the Lord loves them. Unconditional love and expression of mercy. <laughs> I love you here, and no matter how long you stay here, I'll always love you here. You screwed up, I love you, even if you screw up infinitely. I will continue to love you. Right? Unconditional love expressed, expressed, that's an expression of mercy. Grace is an empowerment to action. Mercy is the unconditional, tender love, comforting love of the Lord. So, Lord... I empower the people who want grace to speak mercy right now in Jesus' name. Lord, go ahead and just start praying for them. You're not going to counteract my prayers because you pray differently. You're moving in grace. You're praying the right thing. Lord, while they're praying, Lord, we just hold everybody in this room that needs mercy up to you, Lord. That the we as your bride could be naked, Lord. 
that we as your bride could be poor before you. Because you have riches, Lord. You have clothes, Lord. We could be hungry before you because you're going to feed us, Lord. We can be incompetent before you because you're our confidence, Lord. We can be at the end of our rope, Lord, because you have more rope, Lord. We can let go when we're in front of you, Lord, because you're holding on to us, Lord. We can rest even though we feel distant, Lord, because you bridged the gap, Lord. We don't bridge the gap. You bridge the gap, Lord. But teach us how to be real before you. I'm not just talking about the people who came up. Lord, as a body, Lord, the, the bride of Christ, Lord, as it's manifest in NRV dwelling place, Lord. Teach us how to be naked and poor and hungry and incompetent, Lord. Teach, teach us how to share and, and, and present our failures to you and let you in, Lord. Lord, and empower us, Lord. The people who are praying right now, put words in their mouth that they weren't planning on using, Lord. Because you have words for them that they don't know yet, Lord. Lord, lead them to pray about things they don't even know they should pray about, Lord. Because you're a God who has us pray where we don't know because you do know, Lord. Those who, Lord, who are mourning, let them mourn until you comfort them, Lord. I speak into your heart. Those who have anguish in your heart, if you mourn, the Lord will comfort you. If you're broken before you, He will fix you. If you're naked before you, He will clothe you. Those who are caught in situations in their life, at work or at home in a relationship where they're, they don't know what to do, and they don't know if they can do anything else, Lord. Lord, join them in their situation, Lord. Lord, where you see your heart goes, Lord. You see your people and your heart goes out to them. You hear the cries of the Egyptians. Lord, you send a, Lord, a deliverer, Lord. The main job of the Israelites were be slaves and to cry out to you. It was your job to send someone to deliver them. But then they had to follow you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would be the good physician, Lord. But we're going to step outside the AMA, Lord. We're going to step into chiropractors, Lord. Keep us balanced, Lord, in justice and righteousness, Lord. And keep us balanced, Lord, in mercy and grace, Lord. We'll be naked when we're naked before you, Lord. We'll be clothed when we go minister out in front of you, Lord. We'll know truth, Lord, when we need to speak it, Lord. We'll confess our lies to you so you can speak truth to us, Lord. We'll rest when you say to rest, Lord. We'll run when you say to run, Lord. Lord, we'll evangelize the community when you say to evangelize the community, Lord. We'll gather before you and weep for her when you tell us to weep, Lord. Lord, teach us your rhythms of grace and mercy, Lord.
just want to just keep this place of just if you're praying for somebody, just keep praying. Um, of course, my internet doesn't work when I need it. Maybe I got a Bible. There we go. Just want to pray this scripture over us, and we're going to cl- kind of close. If you have kids, we're going to go rescue the ki- children's workers, uh, as they have been incredibly gracious. I think to since I don't see kids back in here yet, they probably still have them. So just this First Peter two. I can get to it. I just want to pray this over us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's grace. And then listen to this. And we and once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once who had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so, Lord, I just pray that, God, that, Lord, over our lives, over dwelling place, over as a people of God, that we receive your mercy and grace, God, so that we could then go give mercy and grace even in someone else's time of need, that we can receive that, God, wherever we were, in the middle, on the outside, wherever we were, maybe we, uh, Lord, in that, I just pray, God, that mercy would just supernaturally come, grace would supernaturally come, we'd be able to walk in the fullness of, of both of the both and it's not an either or it's a both and father and that you would just strengthen us in that so lord we receive that this this morning we receive that we thank you for that word and we just declare it and we just ask in jesus name let it go forth let it be